Our gospel reading this morning is from the book of Mark in the fourth chapter. Jesus also said, The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes out with his sickle, because the harvest has come. Jesus also said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed, which, when sown upon the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. And yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all vegetables and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can nest in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, the humble mustard seed is a very favorite parable of Sunday school classrooms for sort of time immemorial, and for really good reason. The mustard seed is one of those really concrete images that anyone, even a small child, can really wrap their head around. There's this tiny little seed. Mustard seeds are very, very small. And even though Mark likes to claim they are, they are not the smallest seeds in the entire world. They're just very small seeds. And they grow into a fairly sizable little shrub. Again, Mark is a little wrong here. It's not the largest vegetable in the entire world. But the point sort of remains, that a very small seed grows into a sort of unexpectedly large shrub. Now, as a side note, I just want to remind everyone here, this is a great example of why the Bible is not a science book. The Bible never claims to be a science textbook, and if it did, that sort of claim would be scurrilous at best. Uh, It's a lovely book of poetry and has some wonderful images in it, but in terms of scientific fact, I think this mustard seed parable alone can sort of disqualify it from that genre of writing. But the story sticks with us because like the yeast from last week, it's a really concrete image. It's something we're familiar with. A seed grows into a great plant. A little bit of yeast causes a large amount of flour to leaven into bread dough. And the little mustard seed is apparently something of an image that people around the world love because it makes an appearance in all sorts of religious stories throughout time. So you have Jewish writings from the medieval ages, and they talk about how the universe is like a mustard seed. And they use this image to remind all of us of our own insignificance, to impart some level of humanity. The universe itself could be boiled down to a mustard seed. Or in Buddhism, about 500 years before Jesus was around, the Buddha once told this story about mustard seeds. A woman came to him with her son who had passed away, And she's begging him to bring her son back to life. And the Buddha turns to this woman and he says, I need you to go and collect a handful of mustard seeds from a family who has never lost a son or a daughter or a spouse of their own. And so this woman goes out seeking a family who has never experienced a loss, but of course she can't find one because that experience is universal And so she comes back to the Buddha and she realizes that death is commonplace and that she is not alone in her grief. 
This little story of the mustard seed pops up again here and there throughout time. It sometimes represents the vastness of time, and other times it's about our smallness and our humility. And so Jesus is in pretty good company when he reaches for this parable. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And in the story for today, we get the impression that Jesus was responding to a question because of the way he phrases his story here. And we don't know exactly what the question was because Mark doesn't write it down in the Bible, but we can sort of reverse engineer the question from how Jesus starts. He says, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? What parable should we use for it? And if we work backwards from what Jesus is saying there, we can have some confidence that the people gathered with Jesus that day must have asked him something along the lines of, what is the kingdom of God? Or perhaps something like, when will the kingdom of God appear? Or where will the kingdom of God appear? How will we recognize it? What does it look like? And those are questions we're still asking today. It's part of the reason we keep coming back to scripture. It's part of the reason we come to church. We're looking for where God is going to break in into the world. And so Jesus, in this account from Mark, responds with two parables. And the first goes something like this. The kingdom of God is like seed which a farmer scatters out in a field. The farmer goes to bed at night and he gets up in the morning day after day, and yet the earth produces itself. We sing a hymn sometimes in church with the line that goes, first the blade and then the ear and then the full corn shall appear. It's actually pulled from this little bit in Mark. And suddenly the corn is out in the field, and so the farmer hops into his combine and he drives out in the field, and by the end of that day, the ears of corn are plucked and shucked, and they are sold for a buck, and they are out the door. And then Jesus continues on, and he says, The kingdom of God is also like a mustard seed, a tiny seed which is thrown upon the ground, but in time it grows to be a sizable bush with branches enough for birds to perch on. In the books of Matthew and Luke, Jesus then continues on and tacks on a third parable, the parable of the yeast and the flour. A little yeast hidden in a large quantity of flour leavens a large amount of bread. And so we have these sort of three images to work with and to answer those questions that must have been asked. So first, when will the kingdom of God arrive? When will the kingdom be here? And it seems to me that Jesus is saying something like, well, with seeds or with yeast, time is a little bit squishy. The when depends on factors well outside of our control. How much rain, how much sun will those seeds get? How humid and warm is the kitchen itself? Jesus is answering this question for us with that little throwaway line in there, the earth produces itself. So the answer to when will the kingdom of God be here is the kingdom of God comes in its own good time, just like a seed planted in the ground or some yeast in bread. We actually do a detriment when we sit there and we poke at the bread dough. Or if you try to unbury the seed to check its progress and then bury it up again, you're going to interfere with that process of growth. Seeds grow on their own, bread rises, the kingdom of God will come in its own good time. The farmer goes to sleep at night, he wakes up in the morning, and when the seed will sprout, the farmer doesn't quite know. And so then, with 
the answer to this question in mind, it sort of begs the next question. Well, if we don't know when the kingdom of God is going to arrive, then where will it arrive? Where should we be looking for this kingdom of God? And the people listening to Jesus would have expected an answer that has to do with something grand and powerful and important. I mean, you're talking about a kingdom here, not a trip to the grocery store. So the people would have expected, well, the kingdom of God, it will be a great army that rises up against the Roman occupation. Or perhaps it will be the Messiah followed by angels with their flaming swords. It's going to be an invasion. It's going to be obvious and powerful and big. And I think we look for something similar in our own ways sometimes today. We tend to equate power and privilege with being important, and that the kingdom of God, if it's important, should reflect some of those same things. So we wonder, what product is Apple going to announce this fall that's going to change our lives this time? That seems to be important. Or perhaps what is the president going to say in his next State of the Union address? Or with whom did the Pope meet when he came to visit? I wonder if we often look for the kingdom of God in the headline of a newspaper or at the lectern of a politician or the lens of a movie camera or perhaps the pulpit of the richest and fanciest church. But in these parables, Jesus does something different. He's talking about gardens and fields and kitchens and homes. And I think Jesus is sort of pointing out the opposite. The kingdom of God is going to be found where we already are the home and the market, the community oven, the field on the edge of town. The kingdom of God is going to be found in the everyday, the ordinary places between ordinary people. It's going to come in its own good time, and it will already be among us in our daily living. And so, if we have this idea that the kingdom will come whenever, and it's going to come in ordinary places, then we might be asking ourselves, Well then, Jesus, what are we looking for? What is the kingdom of God going to look like? And Jesus responds, well, it's going to look like the harvest in that field brought in by the farmer's sickle or combine. It's going to look like a mustard bush with birds perched upon the branches and little tiny seeds to be used for cooking. It's going to look like 50 or more loaves of bread that come from the three measures of flour out of the oven shared in this village. It's going to look like the moment when everyone has enough. Enough grain to share, enough mustard seeds to cook with, enough branches for all the birds to nest in, enough bread for people to eat. The kingdom of God looks like enough to be shared among a community and even more to be given to the birds of the air. In these parables of the field and the table, I sort of hear Jesus turning all of our expectations upside down. We live in this world where we require ourselves to be really precise and productive in our, me- in our measurement of time. How are we using it? When are we using it? Where will we be next Tuesday at 10 a.m.? And on top of that, we have this tendency to look for power and importance in people who are famous or, in our own sense, powerful. That's where we place importance. And then we wrap ourselves up in these concerns about getting enough and more than enough for ourselves, saving for the future, having a cupboard full of more food than we need. 
And I think Jesus takes these parables and he sort of turns those expectations upside down. He paints a picture that says, that's not what the kingdom of God looks like. The kingdom of God is not about your human concerns. The kingdom of God comes in its own good time. It's going to come in mundane and ordinary, unexpected ways. And the kingdom of God is not concerned with having more and more. It's only concerned with having enough. And I think that's the provocation of these parables and the challenge of them, especially for us on World Communion Sunday. I think that's often the provocation, the challenge of the communion meal that we share together. It's these ordinary, everyday items, just bread and juice and wine, that we set aside at God's command to be enough for the people of God who have gathered. And in that, we receive the body of Christ And then we are blessed and we are called to go out into the world and to seek the kingdom of God where it might be, to participate in that work of making sure that there is enough bread and enough branches, enough seed for everyone to share. Thanks be to God for this good and challenging calling.